Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lathrop. Hello, football fans. This is episode 57, nine weeks to kickoff. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Royal Retros by 503 Sports. Royal Retros are the king of throwbacks. Royal Retros by 503 Sports provides a line of merchandise from legendary defunct leagues such as the XFL 1.0. If you've always wanted to get yourself a quality Las Vegas Outlaws He Hate Me or Los Angeles Extreme Tommy Maddox jersey, perhaps even an OG XFL's team's t-shirt, we have you covered. Simply click on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code Let's Talk XFL at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. Seeing the holiday season is upon us, the team at 54 Podcasts wanted to take a moment to wish each of you a safe and wonderful holiday season. As of the release of this episode, we are nine weeks from XFL 3.0's kickoff. This week, we have several XFL developments to cover. In addition, we have three guests. Later in the show, I will be joined by the XFL's Vice President of Officiating and Rules Innovation, Dean Blandino, to discuss key rule changes and the rulebook for 2023, as well as Orlando Guardians draftee and offensive lineman Sean Page to discuss his football journey and XFL draft experience. And lastly, the mayor of XFL Nation, Van Hurst, drops by to discuss the Seattle Sea Dragons' efforts and market impact in the lead-up to 2023's kickoff. But first, we have those developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On December 12th, the XFL announced the quarterback assignments of Kurt Benkirk and De'Ara King. According to the league's press release, Kurt Benkirk is assigned to the Houston Roughnecks, and De'Ara King is assigned to the D.C. Defenders. Later in the day, Kurt Benkirk posted on his social media accounts the following. About the XFL. I didn't think I was going to have to write anything like this today, but the report came out that I was assigned to the Houston team. This is true. However, I have not signed a contract with the XFL. The timeliness of this media report is unfortunate and maybe just a coincidence. For many different reasons, and to the fall of no one in particular, this opportunity no longer feels like the right one to pursue. I am choosing to spend this offseason with my wife and daughter back home to experience some normalcy for the first time in a while. This year in football has been a wild one for our family. As thankful as I are for the opportunities that have been put in front of me, I'm going to take the time throughout the early part of the year to regroup, unpack suitcases, and just be for a little bit. I'm wishing nothing but the best for the league. I do think it's good for the sport. It just isn't right for our family. A short while later, he also made a post in regard to the National Football League opportunities, where he also shared a similar response. It appears to be clear, Ben Kirk is taking a break from football to spend time with his family. Don't try to read into it any further. Then, on December 13th, the XFL named Brian Williams as the St. Louis Battlehawks Vice President of Business and Events Operations. Williams shared the following in regards to his appointment. I am incredibly thankful for this opportunity. Growing up, playing, and working in sports media in St. Louis, I understand how important football is to the fabric of our community. Having witnessed firsthand the passion and support for the game and Battlehawks, 
I am excited to build upon that success as we continue as a fan-first approach and even more ideas for the 2023 season. Then, on December 15th, the XFL announced its partnership with ZOA Energy. This seemed to be a foregone conclusion, so I will not go into details of the partnership. If you are interested in learning more, visit XFL.com for more details. As I had previously mentioned, I will now be joined by Dean Blandino to discuss key rule changes and rulebook for the XFL 2023 season. Welcome back, Dean. I appreciate taking the time to return to the show to discuss the XFL rulebook and key changes for the 2023 season. Thanks for having me back. Excited to talk a little bit about the rules and uh, the upcoming season. Yeah, I think everyone is excited for what's going to return because we had it kind of just ripped away from us in 2020. And uh, I think we're just eager. I know there's a lot of impatient people out there, but anything worthwhile takes time, right? So it just makes us appreciate it that much more. Yeah, you know, 2020 was tough. And like you said, it just really had a lot of momentum and and a real good foundation built and and obviously uh, unprecedented times and things and things happened and and we, um, this has been a long time coming and a lot of preparation and a lot of really good people. And uh, I think 2023 is going to be even better. And uh, I'm just really excited about the future of the league. I know you're a professional. So if I push on anything, just tell me, Mike, you know what? Not going to happen. And I'll move right on. Okay. Sure. Sure. <laughs> well, approximately seven months ago, we sat down to discuss your return to the XFL and those innovative rules from 2020. Then you shared that you and the new head coaches would be meeting to go over those rules. When the league released the 2023 rulebook, some rules obviously remained the same, while others were tweaked or outright changed. Can you walk us through the process of how you did it was it the coaches yeah. all came with their their list of okay these are must changes was it did we just start right out with you know what we're going to start rule number 1 and we're just going to go through the playbook and start marking it up yeah it was a it was a really good collaborative process obviously with the amount of time that went into the 2020 rules we we really felt like we didn't have to make major changes for the for the most part. The rules that were new for for XFL 2.0 worked. You know, the kickoff being really the highlight, and so we really felt like there were a couple of things we wanted to discuss and and present to our coaches, and we wanted to get their feedback and input. We wanted them to be a part of the process because these rules are going to impact how they coach. Um, how the game is played and, and ultimately impact the outcome of games and the outcome of their season. So we wanted to get their buy-in and they were, they were tremendous throughout the process. And we looked at different areas. We went through the kickoff and the rules with them. We went through the, the major changes. Remember XFL rules are, are for the most part the same as NFL rules, but there are some differences. So we went through the major differences. Um, got their input and feedback, and, and we went through a couple of the tweaks, a couple of the timing tweaks. One, for example, being um, in the last two minutes going to the college first down rule, which was different than what we did in 2020. Um, got some good input and discussion around onside kicks and 
and having an alternative, a, a, a play from scrimmage versus a free kick. And, and we're going to go with a fourth and 15 play from the 25 and just some really good discussions with the coaches. And we kind of just went through all of it, got their input, um, had more discussions. It wasn't just one meeting. It was over the course of several meetings and Zoom sessions and things. And ultimately, you know, finalized the rule book. And we're excited about the, the rules for 2023. When everyone first got into that room and, you know, knowing that 2020 was received so well by the fans, many of those fans fell in love with what that reimagined football looked like. I know that you mentioned, and it's real, that most of the rules were NFL rules, but it's just some of those rules were just enough different, just that small segment that that's what really people gravitated towards. How much did the NFL with its partnership with the XFL have any sort of say in some changing of the rule book? And was there any fear by everyone sitting down to go away from anything? Was it just, or we're just going to go at this with a new set of eyes. Let's whatever's going to happen is going to happen because you know, that's, that's how life is. Yeah. You know, again, I think we felt really good about the foundation that we had, um, had, have a really good and positive collaboration with the NFL and uh, especially on the officiating side and being able to, you know, give officials an opportunity to work in the spring officials that the NFL is looking at and, and officials that are part of their development program. And, uh, and there were things that the NFL, you know, would like to, to, to look at and consider. And, uh, and those were discussions we had with the league. You know, an alternative to the onside kick is one thing I know the NFL is interested in. It's been a part of, you know, that's been proposed before in my time with the NFL and part of that competition committee process. Um, that's It's not a brand new concept. It's something that's been discussed before. And I think they just want to see it. They want to see it, you know, in live games, professional football, and see what they can learn from it. So it's been positive. Um, the NFL, you know, there, there's no... There, there's no mandate. There was no one, whether it was our coaches, the league. This has been a collaborative process. And, uh, and, you know, we take input from fans. You know, obviously the, the engagement and the excitement around these rules in 2020 was such a positive for the league. And, and we wanted to build on that. And that, that was really the goal all along. How can we make something that was really good? even better. And we feel like the changes that were made are going to lead to an even more exciting, fun, um, you know, type of game to watch. You mentioned the input from the fans. So obviously the XFL has the huddle. That's kind of their way of interacting with fans, putting questions out there, survey situations. Was there any type of communication coming through the huddle that you just brought to the table is, okay, this is, this is what we're seeing from the fans. This is what they really want. This is what they don't want with, you know, back and forth. Yeah, no question. I mean, even just social media channels, my social media, getting, getting questions and, and input and, and that's all great. And again, the overwhelming from, you know, message from the fans was they loved the rules. They loved the innovations. They loved the access to the process. And so we felt like, hey, we don't need to change a whole lot just for change's sake, but let's see if there's some things that we can do even better and give our fans more access. And, and so that, that again, was really the goal. And everything we've heard from the fans around the rules has been positive, and, uh, and we just want to build on that. 
well, change is inevitable, right? It's just, it's the way of life. So anyone that kind of thought that things were going to be identical to 2020, we got new ownership, we got a new, um, you know, breaths of fresh air coming into it, new coaches. So I think the average fan understands that there might be a couple of diehards that are, you know, a little bit more wishful thinking, but the reality is, you know, we've shifted. Now that that process has been done, it's never easy. But this time around, there was obviously that fo- solid foundation that you mentioned. Can you walk us through how long that took? You know, you know, it's been a while, seven months since we talked. But obviously, it wasn't like you just hit print the day before you jumped on ESPN. So how long was that process? Was it kind of, we're going to go redraft, we'll come back, revisit, just to see if there's any change in the, you know, the, the thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it took it took the better part of the last seven months to 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 get all of the rules and finally get to a place where because you have to you have you have the discussions with the coaches, you have the discussions within football operations, um, you're getting feedback from fans, you're getting feedback from from ownership, uh, and then you've got to and then you've got to actually put those rules in writing, and then you edit it and you and you you check it and you go through all those, share it with with our, our game officials, um, get extra sets of eyes on the language. And, uh, and so that's a, that's a long process. And, and that's something Look, the NFL goes through that college football goes through that every year. They review the rule book. They review uh, playing rules every year. And they look at, look at things that, that may need a tweak here or there. A lot of times it's around for us, the biggest things were, were just continuing to look at ways to enhance player safety continuing to look at ways to to make the game um continue to flow right less stoppages less downtime more more meaningful football action um and i think those are really the the two pillars of what we're trying to do and 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 that that that's you know that takes time and uh and again we had a good foundation but um we're 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 really happy putting in the work that we've got a you know, a good set of playing rules and, and we're excited about how it's going to play out during the season. You had mentioned a few of those key changes. So if you don't mind, I'd like to take a moment to focus on some of those key rule changes for a moment. Fans love the shorter play clock in 2020. Less stall, more ball. You know, Oliver Lill kept saying that in 2019, 2020. Why was it important to increase the play clock from 25 seconds to 35 seconds? And how do you anticipate that impacting the length of each game? Yeah. So the way it worked in 2020 and the play clock was 25 seconds, but it didn't start immediately following the play in the, we have a dedicated ball spotter that put the ball down and then that ball spotter would wind the clock and, and on average, we averaged about seven or eight seconds from when the play ended to when the ball was on the ground and the ball spotter wound the clock. So really, in reality, we had we had more of a 32, 33 second play clock last year. Um, this year, we felt going to more of a traditional in terms of the play ending, the play clock starts putting it at 35. We didn't feel like that was a major um, going to have a major impact because it might be two or three second difference. 
And we felt like just from a mechanic standpoint, um, the game could even flow be even better because if the ball spotter, you know, maybe the ball spotter is delayed getting the ball down this way. It just gets into a rhythm. We know the previous play ends, the play clock starts, you've got 35 and, uh, and the offense can get into what they're doing. So we don't, we don't think it's going to have a major impact. We feel like it should be the, the same flow. Um, you know, more or less the timing rules other than that. And one tweak in the last two minutes, um, stayed the same. So we feel like from a game flow, a game length perspective, we don't anticipate major, major differences. So kind of going with that same question of the length of the game. You guys had decided to increase the timeouts per half from two to three. Now that doesn't seem like a major shift, but it it could kind of tweak things. It seems like obviously it's going to get the game, the quality of the game better with coaches having that extra timeout or extra two per game, depending how you look at it. Was there any fear of lengthening in it? You know, kind of how like that whole thing, we want shorter games, more just action impact and versus stopping the clock and stepping away. Yeah. Whenever you make a change like that, you have to look at big picture and look at other things that can offset that. So we added a timeout for the coaches but we eliminated the five second hold in the last two minutes. If you remember in 2020, after every play, even if it ended in the field of play, the clock would stop for five seconds. So we got rid of that. So we feel like getting rid of that, giving the coach an extra timeout, it's going to balance out. Again, it's not going to be a major difference. And we felt by getting rid of that, we we wanted to give the coach an opportunity to take another timeout because those are important. That's conserving time, especially in that two-minute window. Um, we want our teams to be able to conserve time. That helps promote comebacks, which help promote closer games. And that's the goal, you know, more, more football and closer games, more exciting games. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's our goal. So for me, personally, I love the new changes to the challenges and replays. The centralized replay seems to be a no-brainer. I just don't know how it hasn't been more of a focus across every football league out there. A replay correcting obvious errors and non-reviewable play was long overdue. I mean, this is all we've heard from football fans for so long. Was this a unanimous decision to implement for 2023? Yeah, everybody was on board. We felt like... We wanted to do centralized replay. We wanted to keep those decisions. And, and the goal behind centralized replay is, is to make decisions and, and, and have more consistency because you're, you're going to have a small group of people that are going to be making decisions, not just one person making a decision in Seattle and another person making a decision in St. Louis, where if they have a difference of philosophy or looking at plays differently, we're going to have less consistency. So we felt that that made a lot of sense. And then having the ability to correct a, a, a an obvious mistake in a situation where it may not be reviewable, but it's going to have a, a big impact on the outcome of the game. We felt if we have the video, we have the technology, let's put something in place that helps us get those plays right. And they don't happen very often, but let's have a vehicle to be able to correct those situations. And we're excited about that. We're excited about giving the coach an opportunity to challenge once uh, per game, any officiating decision, 
Because the goal is to not have officiating be the story, to let the two teams and the game and the excitement of that be the story and not, not some call that we might, we might be debating because it's controversial. Well, the reason why I think it's so important is that everyone has individual biases, right? If we are watching something, it's what did our own eyes see? And I'm not saying that people are unwilling to change their own call so to speak but i think it's very important for somebody that is so removed from it not in the stadium not you know feeling the um the moment either way i think they're a little bit more calm cool collected however you want to do it and just they see it from an unbiased situation they don't have that oh i saw it from this point of view or i got these x of my guys claiming they saw this they're just looking strictly at what the film tells them so i i think that it is like I said, a no-brainer. It's going to be a huge benefit to the league. Yeah, you know, anytime you can, and we try to work with replay officials, whether it's NFL or college, that environment that you're working in is so important. And if it's if if you can if you create unnecessary stress and unnecessary pressure, that can impact decisions. And so anything you could do to keep that environment, you know, more static and not up and down, that's important. And and again, with the centralized replay, we feel like we're going to we're going to be able to make decisions consistently. We're going to use this, apply the same standard across the board. And uh, and and we feel like we're going to be in a good place with replay. And it doesn't mean that we're 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 not going to potentially make a mistake or you're going to agree with every call but we're going to apply a consistent standard and i think that's what people want and we're also going to show you the process and you're going to be able to listen in and see what goes into it and i think anytime someone can see the process it eliminates any 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 type of question, any type of conspiracy theory, any type of of just confusion when you can see and hear what actually occurred. So, I was going through the just the rule book, right? You just click on it. Here it is, and like you had mentioned, it is so cookie cutter for a a, a bunch of it that I'm just it's like. I'm reading. Okay. Looks redundant. I'm getting there. So before I got too lazy and my mind started to check out on it, Dean, what was it that I missed or most people are probably missing when they just look at the rule book, when they're reading through it, that did change that no one's talking about. Well, you know, I don't think there's anything major that changed that that's no, that no one is talking about. I think the big things are, you know, certainly replay, um, the ability to review certain situations um, that that are not reviewable and correct those things when they're when they're significant. Um, you know, I think some of the timing changes, but there really isn't anything major that that hasn't been talked about or that we're missing. You know, the fourth down, the fourth fourth and fifteen alternative is a, is a big change. Um, we've obviously discussed that. So, look, reading, <laughs> sitting down and trying to read the whether it's the XFL rulebook or the college rulebook or the NFL rulebook, that's you know that's something that might be a remedy for insomnia, you know, in, in some instances because that's not it's not necessarily exciting reading for a lot of people. But uh, but you know it's necessary, and because you know the rules can get complicated, and you want to make sure you cover. Um, every possible situation. And even then, and I was telling somebody, I was talking to somebody earlier today, it feels like every year, whether it's college, NFL, 
every year something happens that we've never seen before or we didn't anticipate. And, uh, and you know, and you can't write a rule book that's going to cover every possible situation. Sometimes things happen and you have to adjust. Uh, but I think we've got a good, I think we've got a good foundation for the rules and, and, uh, I think we're in a good place. So seeing that you can't foresee everything, right? For it doesn't matter how long football has been around, right? And how many times rules have been tweaked and are adjusted. Are you in the league open to once we're in three weeks, four weeks, whatever, seven weeks, maybe just before playoffs, once the regular season ends, are you open to making changes effective for the following week? Yeah, you know, we... It's a good question. We, we'd want to avoid that if possible. But I think there's two things that if, if, if it impacts one of these two things, then I think we have to consider it. The first is player safety. Um, if there's something that comes up that we didn't consider and, and it becomes something that not, not a one-off, but it becomes something that we feel like it's putting our players at, you know, in unnecessary risk situations, then I think that's something we have to consider. The second would just be the, the 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 overall integrity of the game in the league, and if it's something that is is detrimental to that that we didn't consider, then I think that's something you would you would have to look at. I mean, outside of that, there might be some things that happen, but again, those are things you learn, you make notes, you you keep track. I mean, we're going to do a full review at the end of the season of everything that came up. Right now, we don't know what we don't know, and we'll have a better feel at the end of the year, things that came up, and uh, and then we'll be able to, you know, tweak if needed for 2024 and beyond. So, you know, again, the, the goal is these are the playing rules, and we don't want to make changes, but if it's player safety or or, or the, the integrity of the game, it's something you'd have to consider. If the safety or integrity is in jeopardy right at that moment, who's the one that initiates that conversation? to actually sit down is that you is that what you're in this role for is it you know somebody else uh yeah i think it would start with me because i'm the closest to it from an officiating perspective um it might be something one of our officials brings up it might be we have officiating position coaches but i think it would start with me and then and then we would we would have an internal discussion with football operations which includes um russ brandon doug whaley mark ross and, and ultimately, if we were going to make a change in season, you know, then Danny Garcia, who's our, who's our chairwoman, um, you know, similar to the commissioner, you know, in the NFL, um, then, then she would get involved. So, so I think that would be your process in that situation. Um, if we were, you know, looking at something to make an in season change. Well, I didn't mean to put a bullseye or a target on you. You know, I, I kind of thought about that. I'm like, well, I'm not trying to get the fans to be like, okay, who are we looking at? the starts this whole thing. But like you said, it's going to be so many hands in the cookie jar, so to speak, to make that decision that it's not one person. No, but, but believe me in 20 something years in officiating, you, you have a bullseye. It's, there's no, there's no question. It's not a, you've got to have thick skin in this business. I did jump ahead. Cause I just kind of got, I, you know, like even though I have things written down, I don't read them all the time. So, that fourth quarter onside kick alternative for me, it's a bit odd, but you mentioned that obviously it's something that's been discussed in the NFL and all these coaches. So what about that alternative 
that's so intriguing or seems to be so important to people that are really invested in the football, the, the, the football heads? Yeah, I think if you if you look at the history of the onside kick, um, the onside kick, it's it's a it's an important part of the game. Uh, because if you don't have an opportunity to get the ball back after you score, then there are just certain games where they're over two two score game with with three minutes to go. Right. You don't have a chance to get the ball back. Um, you're you're not going to be able to come back. So so the onside kick is so critical um, to the success of you know the NFL college and, and close games and things like that and comebacks. But if you think about the history of the onside kick, it ha- it has had a, a a a more potential for injuries, especially years ago when you when you were able to overload to one side and you could have ten players all within you know shoulder to shoulder moving downfield, high speed collisions. So I think you know both NFL and college has looked at ways to make that play safer and spreading the spreading the kicking team out to where you couldn't overload and those types of things. And I think as you continue to look at player safety, you know, is there an alternative to keeping the ball after a score that doesn't involve a kickoff, that doesn't involve those those the potential for those high speed collisions? I think that's where the, the that that fourth and fifteen, that one play, you got to have it. I think that's where that comes in, and I think that's something that the NFL is 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 looking at. It's been proposed before. Um, through different clubs and talked about in the competition committee. So I think that's really the 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 whole impetus behind it. And uh, and we'll see. We'll see how it goes. And I think it's something that you know the NFL will will definitely be interested to see how it how it plays out. Well, I ask because analytics, right? We're seeing it. It's been in football, and I know everyone talks. about it's always been there. We looked at it, but it just seems to be uh, more obvious now with the way coaches are changing, you know, the number of attempts that they're going for it on fourth down and all that. Has it been really tested with numbers behind it to look at the odds, right? We already, you know, we obviously there's odds for how many onside kicks there are and what's the chances that, you know, the kicking team recovers it. Is that data there? Is it close? If it is, I mean, is it similar or yeah. does it seem to be, hey, it's more obvious just to go for fourth and 15? Yeah, I mean, this wasn't we didn't just pull like pull it out of a hat. Right. You're going to do an analysis. And so historically in the NFL, the onsite kick has been roughly a 12, 13 percent success rate. Right. There, there have been dips in certain seasons. Uh, but for the most part, it's it's, you know, 10, 12, 13 percent success. And when you look at over the course of, of, you know, five, 10 years, those fourth down plays, whether it's fourth and 14, fourth and 15, fourth and 16, those got to have it plays, um, that has been roughly in that same success range. So we try to keep it as close to what a normal onside kick success rate would be. And we didn't want, we didn't want it to be too easy. And we didn't want it to be too hard. We wanted it to be similar to an onside kick in terms of the opportunity to get the ball back because, you know, there's two sides to it. There's we want the game to be close, but we don't want it to be so easy where teams are just saying, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go for it every time because we're going to keep the ball even when we have the lead. So it was kind of trying to find that sweet spot. And, uh, and that's, you know, we feel like that, that makes the most sense right now. And, and again, something we'll look at at the end of the year. And if we need to make a tweak, we will. 
So with centralized replay or with just broadcast in general, will we see you on game day involved in any of those broadcasts or any those those decisions? Yeah, I think the plan is to listen in and and watch the process, right? This is, you know, part of 2020, what was great is you could take a peek into the replay booth. You could take a peek into and listen to what the officials are saying. So we want to give fans an opportunity to listen in and see what's going on. So, so you know, from a, from a centralized command center, right, you'd be able to see what's happening, listen to the conversation. And we think that's important. We think the ability to do that and let fans listen in um, is, a, is a big part of what made 2020 popular. And we feel like we could, you know, we can keep that going and give people that that access that they 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 don't have, whether it's NFL or college. Will you be in that room? Yeah, I'll be in the I'll be in the command center. Absolutely. Just trying to see if we're going to see your face on television one way or another. Not that anyone else cares, but hey. I think you have a heck of a career and uh, oh, thank it, it's, you no, I, I really do. You know, it's, it's intriguing how people work where they work, do what they do, especially for the period of time that they do their tenure. I, regardless if it's at the NFL, here you are, obviously did some things right back in 2020. You're back with the XFL. So you're obviously good at what you do. And I'm not just trying to patch you up to get you back on the, the show later and down the road. I mean, you're obviously good. And the league has selected, you know, the right man for the job or the right person, not to be sexist, but the right person for the job. So it's kind of cool to see that you're involved in that because you are essential to this process, obviously, to creating the playbook. It'd be foolish not to have you involved in the implementation of those rules. Well, well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And I've, I've been blessed to have a lot of great opportunities and, and been blessed to have been around a lot of good people that took an interest in my career and helped me um, progress. And, and I'm, I, I continue to try to learn and get better every day. And I'm just excited about opportunities like this to work, um, you know, in a, in a new football league and be able to, to, to innovate and create because, you know, when you're with the NFL, it's established and, and there's a structure and a process. Um, and that's good because it's been around for a long time, but to come into something new and be able to build it and be involved with really good people, that that's, it's been a blessing and I'm just excited about it. Well, I want to honor our time frame that we've agreed on to even from the last show, uh, last uh, appearance. So Dean, it has been a pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time again to return to the show now under its new banner, Player 54, to discuss the 2023 rule books and key rule changes. If there happens to be any future tweaks to the XFL rules, don't be surprised if I do knock or send you a message to see if I can get you back on. Well, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure and happy to jump back on during the season. I'm sure there's going to be stuff to talk about. So excited about it. Well, I look forward to it. I understand if you're too busy to come on, I won't take it personal. If some of the listeners wanted to follow you and some of the processes, things come up through the, you know, through the season, uh, can you just share yeah. the social media accounts and whatnot they should keep an eye on? Sure. Yeah. You can keep an eye on my, my Twitter at Dean Blandino, um, XFL.com. XFL is on Twitter. There's, there's a lot of good stuff. Danny Garcia, our chairwoman, um, Doug Whaley, Mark Ross. There's a lot of really good people. Obviously, Dwayne Johnson to follow where you can get, you can get a lot of, uh, a lot of information about the league. And, uh, and again, it, it's going to really start to ramp up here 
And because we've got what a little over two months before the kickoff of the first game. So uh, we're really excited. Perfect. Thank you, Dean. Thanks, Mike. You're welcome. It was a pleasure to welcome Dean back to the show. His role with the league and knowledge provides valuable insight into the process and reasoning for why changes were made, as well as what could be on the horizon. I am looking forward to seeing the new rules implemented and remaining in contact with Dean on any potential rule developments. I will now be joined by Orlando Guardians draftee and offensive lineman Sean Page to discuss his football journey and XFL draft experience. Welcome, Sean. I appreciate you taking the time to come on to the show to discuss your football journey and XFL draft experience. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Before we get to the XFL draft, I think it would be beneficial if we provide some of your background to help our listeners understand who you are and why the XFL were interested in you. I believe you had an interesting, well-traveled collegiate career. Yeah. Per, per my research, you first attended and played ball at Division II Bloomberg University. Yes, sir. And then you had two transfers, right? Am, am I correct there? Yes, two transfers in between. Right. First to Division One University of Maine, and yes, then to fellow D1 Merrimack College. Yes. Okay. I, I know that's not the most common and I've, I've had a couple of guys actually paid for three or four schools. So you, you're not the only one, but it's not all that common. So can you walk us through this entire process that led first to Bloomberg university, your recruiting process, you know, coming out of high school, how much interest was there for you by other schools? And then kind of walk us through your time from Bloomberg to the university of Maine to Merrimack College. I know this is probably going to be lengthy, so share share what you can, you know, without feeling like you're going too long or without feeling like you're omitting anything that you think is important too. So you just kind of walk us through all that, the recruitment all the way until the end of college. Okay, so uh, coming out of high school, you know, I was a, a defensive end and an offensive lineman. Uh, I was around. 6'2", 6'3", 250. So a lot of schools were looking at me more for the defensive side of the ball than O-line. I always wanted to play O-line. I felt like my ceiling was higher for O-line. You know, some college coaches, they may have felt differently. I had a good amount of offers from a bunch of D2 schools and the uh, Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference, the PSAT. I had a preferred walk-on to University of New Hampshire. When it came down to it, I decided to, you know, go with the scholarship. I took a full scholarship to Bloomsbury University. I played there for three years. I played there for three seasons, but I went there for four years because of, of course, COVID. Once COVID hit, I was able to graduate. And then, you know, I thought, well, how about I test my luck? You know, I've been betting on myself my whole life. I'm going to go ahead and bet on myself again. Following that, I entered the transfer portal. I had a few I had a few pretty good uh, Division One offers. I chose to attend University of Maine. Really liked it up there. Made a lot of good connections with the guys. Made a lot of good connections with the coaches, played some good football, was able to play some good Division One football, but the state of Maine itself just wasn't for me. I hate the cold. <laughs> From PA, so, you know, it's pretty cool, but we have a saying up Maine. It's nothing like that Maine cold. So after that, after the uh, COVID season up in Maine, we had about four games. Our last two were canceled due to our team catching COVID, so we forfeited the rest of our season. After it started all my years at Bloomsburg, 
started at Maine, left Maine, and then I transferred to uh, Mary Mack College. Went to Mary Mack College, had another good season there. So all in all, in my college career, I started about I started about 40 games, and I think I played in 48 total games. I didn't start every game my true freshman, every game my redshirt freshman year. So once I left Marymount College, I entered my name into the uh, NFL draft, had a few All-Star games where I was able to start in the All-Star game at center. So one thing about me that I pride myself on is my ability to play all five positions. So from my very first game at Bloomsburg until my final collegiate game, at the FCS Bowl, I have played all five positions from left tackle all the way over to right tackle. So the CGS Bowl was sort of the culmination of it all. I played center in that game, and I was able to put up some good films. So that's something that I pride myself on, you know, being a Swiss Army knife. And that's something that, you know, my agent, myself, my team, we like to push. We like to push to pro teams. It's just the versatility and being a Swiss Army knife. So had pro day, you know, trained for pro day, had pro day. Then the NFL draft came. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to receive a call during the draft. And then I just kept working. You know, something that I pride myself on is no matter the life circumstances, I'm going to keep working. Something's going to happen and something's going to give. So I was able to be granted an opportunity by the Orlando Guardians and the XFL. And here we are now getting ready for camp about a month out. Obviously, you put yourself in the draft. And we just mentioned the Guardians. Was there any other professional experience? in there that I'm just not aware of that, it, you know, maybe you played briefly overseas or anything in indoor or arena. So I had no other uh, professional teams that I played for. I didn't play arena. I didn't play overseas. I was able to, uh, I attended the XFL showcase in the summertime. And then I was brought out for a private workout by the DC defenders. And then when the draft came around, I was drafted by the Orlando guardians out the XFL. So when you attended the Washington D.C. showcase in the the XFL Washington D.C. showcase, did you feel that you did really well at that showcase? Did you connect with any coaches with conversations? Was there anything like that that led you to believe that you were going to get that workout invite by the defenders? So when I went to the showcase, uh, I definitely felt like I did well. It wasn't too far from pro day. I believe the showcase was early June. Pro Day was in March, so it was still about four months out. It was the summertime, so, you know, I was still running. I'm still running to this day, but, you know, was just doing a lot of my workouts outside. Granted, it's a bit colder now, so the workouts have shifted more towards inside. But at that time, you know, still running, still doing a lot of 40 starts, still doing a lot of uh, 5, 10, 5s. And then when I went to the showcase, I was definitely able to, I was definitely able to open some eyes and show my, my versatility, I was able to show one of my best abilities, which is my pulling game and showing my quick feet. You know, I spoke with a couple coaches. I don't exactly remember their names, but I spoke with a couple coaches there. And then uh, about a month or two later was when I got the call about the D.C. Defenders private workout. So it wasn't a surprise. You know, at that point, I felt like I had put the work in. I've been continuously putting the work in ever since I was a freshman in college, ever since I was in high school. So I just felt like it was another opportunity for me to go out and shine and do what I do best. After that private workout with the defenders, you know, in the lead up to the draft, was that essentially the only communication with teams that you've had after that workout? Or were there some more teams that kind of started reaching out to you or your representation? So after the private workout with the defenders, that was about all of the uh, communication that I had with teams. So 
I was expecting to hear something when the draft came around from from them for the most part. And then the days leading up to the draft is when I started to hear from Coach Wagner, who's my co- offensive line coach on the Orlando Guardians. That's when I started to hear from Orlando a few days leading up to the draft. And then I felt like it was going to be a toss-up between D.C. and Orlando. But I'm glad I was able to go to Orlando, baby. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of interesting. You think about all that time, you're you're thinking you only got one shot. It's gonna be the defenders. If anyone's calling my name, it's gonna be the defenders, right? So you're you're really thinking that's happening a couple of days beforehand. What a breath of fresh air to know that there's another team interesting. You know, that here you got essentially your odds, the chances of getting selected just doubled from what it was before. It just it's gotta feel good that all yeah. that hard work was being noticed whether you knew it or not, even to the last minute that you were essentially on their radar. It definitely felt good. You know, it's something that uh, I have a couple other, I have a couple other friends who are in the XFL. I have buddies who's in, who's in the USFL and it definitely feels good. You know, just knowing that for the first time in my life, I'm a professional athlete. I'm a professional football player. This thing that I've been working up to, my whole entire life from playing football as an eight, nine-year-old kid to, you know, my shoulder pads and my helmet being bigger than I am. And in middle school, you know, going through high school, going through college, after college, you know, it's definitely an anxiety-inducing feeling because you don't really know what's going on. To draft weekend, you know, not things, when things don't go your well during draft weekend, it kind of makes your heart drop. But just knowing that you kept working and you were able to prevail, it's definitely an amazing feeling. So now let's go ahead and look at the big day. You're up to speed. We know who was interested. You already let the cat out of the bag. It doesn't matter. The results are all online anyway, right? But it's draft day. And on November 16th, the Guardians select you in the ninth round of the offensive lineman segment with the 69th pick. Can you walk us through the start of the draft, the way you woke up, you know, how did you approach your day? Who did you surround yourself with? You know, was it just a normal day? And you're just like, yeah, if somebody's going to call me, call me. Or did you kind of really set the day up as like, today's my big day. Today's my moment. Kind of just so, walk us through the beginning of the day to all of a sudden you find out you're selected. So it was actually funny because the day of the draft was a Wednesday, just like today. And on Wednesdays, I have class from 4 until 6.30. I also had work on Wednesdays from eight o'clock until three thirty. So I remember I got up. It was just a normal day, you know. I thought, okay, what well, a draft is today. We're going to see. I knew that the draft was going to be the next day, and I believe a day after that. I knew it was a couple of days of draft. So I'm like, okay, well, we'll see where we land. I've spoken with some teams, you know. We'll see. I go ahead to work, you know, same old, same old. I'm on the way home from work, and I get an uh, email from Coach Wagner. He had emailed me and asked me what my phone number was. That's my offensive line coach in Orlando. He emailed me and asked me what my phone number was. So I, I sent him my phone number. I got back to him, and then I go home. I'm in class, and I'm in class, and I happen to uh, – my class is on Zoom. So I'm at home. I'm on Zoom. I'm in class, and I happen to look over on my Instagram, and I see the Coach Wagner. He messaged me on Instagram. He said, hey, what's your number? So I look into my uh, email address at the, e- at the number that I emailed him, and I'm like, oh, man, I just sent Coach Wagner the wrong number. The last two digits of the number I sent was the I had them in reverse. So I'm looking, I'm like, oh man, I just sent them the wrong number. Like, what if they tried to draft me and you know I just missed my time? I missed my opportunity. And I remember talking to one of my friends. I called him. I was like, yo, I think I just messed up. I sent the wrong number. And he just called me down. He was like, hey man, it's gonna happen. You know, just just relax. 
So then a couple, couple picks went, a couple picks went past, you know, I was drafting in ninth. So a couple picks went past and I'm over here, I'm stressing out, I'm getting a little anxious. So at this point, class is over and I'm just playing my game. And then I get a call. It's Coach Wagner. And I just could not stop laughing when he told me that they were going to draft me. It was just like, it was the funniest thing to me. So it was just, that was definitely an experience. You know, draft day was definitely a good one. That's an honest mistake. I know it's nerve wracking, no doubt. But you think about just typing things in. Sometimes we get going really quick. You just need to hit the wrong number or just be a little slightly dyslexic, you know, the numbers in different order. But, you know, yeah, I could see your big moment and maybe, maybe the right organization would be like, if we can't get a hold of the guy, we don't know how committed he is to wanting to play. Maybe teams are taking that serious, but I I would hope that's not the case. And I hope they would still just draft a guy and try to get in touch with him later on. That's kind of crazy. And not only that, by registering in the showcase, and participating in a private workout, I would think your your information is all on file. That just seems a little odd that they wouldn't have had it. Yeah, I would too, right? <laughs> not to, I'm not trying to bash the league, but the league or anything, but it just I just think it. I'm like, well, that's a little weird because you would have completed your registration and you would have been obviously received your draft invitation. You would think there'd be a file of you someplace that all teams have access to. But anyway, not to kind of beat a dead horse there. So can you just kind of share us what the, the conversation was really like? Was it really short? Did he kind of, you know, what, what was it like, you know, getting the phone call? Just can you walk us through that phone call a little bit more? Okay. So uh, at that point, Coach Wagner and I had already spoke a few times via email. So the phone call, you know, just, just once again, formally introducing ourselves, we spoke pretty briefly, you know, I told him I was grateful for the opportunity. He told me, you know, he couldn't wait for me to get down there. He definitely spoke on our offensive emphasis. He said, we're going to be fast, we're going to be physical, and we're going to knock people off the ball. And I told him, coach, that's what I do best, so I'm ready. And then, you know, we spoke a little bit more about, you know, what the expectation is out of the O-line and how we're going to do things going forward. But, yeah, I just the point that I wanted to emphasize most is that I'm ready. I'm grateful for my opportunity, and I'm ready to go take what's mine. You know, you could probably see behind me. I don't know if you kind of make out some of these Hitman jersey from the original XFL in 2001. That's back to my college days. So I'm dating myself. I'm almost a 43-year-old man. I got the original Guardians there from New York because I moved down from Syracuse. Now I'm down in Florida. Just happens to be Guardians now are a Florida team. Just seems like it's meant to be, right? Here I am, now a season ticket holder. So, Sean. I love what you just said about Coach Wagner saying, hey, we're going to be we're going to be a physical team. We're going to knock people off the ball. I mean, let's do this, right? Let's let's have some exciting stuff. I know you're pumped. I can only imagine, right? Here you are. You're about ready to start living your dream, playing professional ball, getting a paycheck to play the game you love. But anything, it's giving you that platform to really pursue the ultimate dream of reaching to National Football League. But Let's take care of business here in Orlando here in February, right? Let's let's take care of some serious business. I'll be in the stands. What have they been telling you? Right? I know they've been in contact. I've had a couple of actually uh, some other draftees have been on here, and even your teammate Tommy um, Alger there, the tight end, and uh, he got drafted in a specialist segment. And just had him on. But what are you hearing? 
I know you, you guys are reporting on the six. I guess the, the camp actually starts, I believe, on the seventh, but you guys are reporting the Arlington on the sixth. Right. Uh, I he was telling me that some of the guys are already showing up in Orlando. I know a lot of the skills position, the quarterbacks, receivers, tight ends, running backs are getting together. Are you guys doing anything like that on your end for offensive linemen to kind of get just I mean, I know it's not team um mandated or organized. Was there anything with the offensive line trying to get together, you know, just trying to prepare, get a leg up? So we definitely, we have meetings multiple times throughout the week. We meet, we go over the playbook. Uh, There are about 11 of us, and I think only three of us are in the northern states. I believe everyone else is from the Florida, Mississippi, Texas area. So we don't really get to meet is, we don't get to meet physically and work, but we definitely meet up multiple times throughout the week. We get that cognitive work. You know, we break things down. We chalk talk with each other. We fill each other in. Sometimes guys may have a question for coach. We may say, hey, if I'm here at guard, you here at center, this is how we'll do it. Just so we can further build that camaraderie. So by the time we get there and it's time to go, coach always says, I want y'all playing. I don't want y'all thinking. You know, so that's something that we also focus on. Let's get all the think pieces out now. So when it's time to play, we can play fast. We can play physical. Good deal. I like it. Like it a lot. So since then, who else have you had conversations with? Anybody else with the staff outside of those Zoom meetings? Are you talking with, you know, Coach Buckley? So we – with Coach Ford? Yeah, so we speak with majority of all the offensive coaches. The uh, Coach Ford, he's the OC. Coach Thomas, he's always in there with us. Coach Wagner, of course, the O-line coach. And then the quarterback's coach is in there with us. The quarterback coach is in there with us as well. I just forget his last name, and I don't want to uh, misspeak. But he's in there with us as well. So majority of the offensive coaches are all in there. That's all good. I'm just, just trying to get a feel. Like, I know a bunch of the listeners are just kind of intrigued. You know, everyone's been kind of just eager. And, try, you know, some not as patient as others. They've been just waiting for all this information. And now we actually have football stuff to talk about other than the hirings of front office staff and, you know, teams, you know, locations and the team names and stuff. I know that's all important. Branding's important. But what fans are fans of and what they want to be watching and talking about is football. And so now we can actually start talking football. It's not, not games played yet, but it's more football stuff. And now we know that we got coaches. Now we essentially have players. I know that, not everyone's signed. You know, there's still essentially a tryout at camp and stuff in January. But the reality is we now have something that's more tangible football. And that's kind of why I ask these questions a little bit, because now it gets people to start thinking, all right, hey, it's not just camp. Because we already know that, you know, we look at the National Football League. They have OTAs. They have all these other things. It's just really drawn out where they bring you know the rookies in first to kind of get them acclimated. This is a much shorter window. And we right. always watch these alternative leagues, whether it was the original XFL, whether it was the United Football Leagues, the Alliance of you know American Football, and all these, you know, the USFL now. I'm not trying to leave anybody out. But the reality is there's just a number of leagues all short. And we kind of always wonder, is that why it looks a little rough in week one or two? But now you're telling me, Tommy's telling me, Everyone else is telling me, hey, got the playbook. We're meeting on Zoom. We're going through. Hey, Tommy's like, hey, we got the skill guys getting together in Orlando together. Coaches are not making us do it, but we're getting together just trying to make sure we're building that chemistry, that timing, you know, our speed, the throws, you know, all that stuff. Like, 
it's so basic, but it's so important to what, fo- you know, how football is. It's not football. We talk about X's and O's all the time. Everybody has their assignment, you know, when one guy misses assignment could throw the entire playoff, right. Yes, or sir. allows the defense to have a heck of a play, you know, on the offense. So the reality is now that's why I kind of ask these questions just to make sure well, one guy mentioned it, but how, how different is it? Until Tommy said that the guys are meeting up in Orlando, we had no idea. So I'm like, oh, right. heck, you guys might be doing something different, but it might not be in Orlando because it right. might be, like you said, a bunch of guys are from different places. So I'm not trying to like let your guys' secret out so other teams now start. But well, we're too close to the holidays. I don't think most guys are going to be giving up their, you know, their holiday, depending what faith and what they um, observe or practice. But anyway, have you built any relationships with some of your teammates? Have you really connected with anybody? I mean, I know you, you're in your Zooms, you're having your communication, you know, that way. But is there anything outside of it that you're just just trying to make sure that you kind of – it's not that first day of college type of feeling. I know this is not college and stuff, but, like, I always joke, like, when I was a freshman showing up because I played um, soccer in college because I didn't come from a school, high school that had football. But I remember what that all was. You kind of build that chemistry. It's just not the game on the field, but it's kind of the personalities and all that kind of coming together. Have you guys even started doing any of that? Okay, right. So, you know, we uh, when we meet through Zoom – we talk and everything, you know, so there's definitely some camaraderie building right there. We're all in the group message. And one thing that we like to do as an O-line, we always send each other our workouts. So we're in a big uh, group message, all the offensive linemen, Coach Wagner's in there. And then whatever we're doing on that day, everybody has their own workout program. So whatever we're doing on that day, we'll send it in. So I know like Xavion Furquan, my other teammate, he plays offensive line too. He's a real big squatter. You know, he'll send a video of him squatting 600 pounds. Me, I like to do a lot of skill work. I work with uh, Jerry Evans, my trainer. I'll do. I'll send some videos of me in there kickstepping with him, working off a twist, coming back on a blitz. Also, I know uh, Jordan Egofase. He's another offensive lineman. Him and I were at the CGS All-Star game together. So we're slowly but surely building that camaraderie. For the most part, you know, it's us sending each other workouts, you know, pushing each other throughout the week. You know, someone may send themselves benching. 380 400 pounds somebody like oh that's it come on i can do that for reps so you know offensive line it's a little different because it's a lot of grunt work in it but we definitely make it fun so it it does help it, it, from your point of view it's definitely seemed to be helping build that camaraderie is it really motivating you too? seeing what they're doing to kind of push yourself harder it's definitely motivating me you know because i mean we're all blessed for the opportunity and we're all grateful for the opportunity, but we're all competing against each other as well. I mean, there are X amount of spots. I think it's a 50 to 53 man roster. At the end of the day, everybody has to make it. Everybody ha- everybody wants to make the roster, but everybody can't make the roster. So it's definitely some competition. I mean, what I want for myself, I want for my brother, but I also want myself to win just as much as I want him to win. So it's definitely some competition in there. You may not know this, but you're the only, you're only the second offensive lineman I've had on the show. All right. And it doesn't mean I have a bias towards offensive alignment. It's just, you know, all those sexy positions, right? Offensive, you know, the quarterback, the wide receiver, the running back, or even the, you know, some of the defensive guys, you know, they had those sacks and interceptions that can kind of just, you know, talk about or, you know, live off their past a little bit with it. And offensive alignment is just a little different. So, 
when I had an opportunity to, you know, reach out to some guys and I, I wanted to reach out to guys that had it necessarily had on the show previously, even though some of the guys that got drafted, I did have one guy, Aaron Nelson, only because I thought he was a long shot because he came from division three and I had to have him back on. But the reality okay. is I wanted to connect, you know, with some new guys. So I'm like, you know what? It's gotta be an, I gotta get an office alignment in here. And you know what? I'm going to start with the guardians because it just, it's a little biased here. People. I don't really show that on the show that often it's really rare. But the reality is, I'm just going to do it. And I dug through, and when I saw you went to three different schools, I'm like, you know what? We got to show some love to somebody that has an interesting story. So that's why I selected you, because, you know, three different schools, D2, a couple D1s in there. I didn't see any professional experience on there. I'm like, you know, this is kind of a still a long shot-ish type of situation. So I thought it would be kind of a good thing to bring you on so people could be introduced to you. I don't know how many other shows you've done but i'm like you know let's kind of give this guy his moment because a lot of offensive line guys don't get that yes sir what else can you tell our listeners about you that we just don't know right i mean i I get it we're not going to see a ton of highlight reels out there of you and even if we do i don't know how many people really tune in offensive line guys not trying to put it down guys are essential you guys are very important but the reality is come on just here's your moment you may haven't made it you still gotta make the team but you've been selected in the draft you're going to camp it's a big moment for you so why don't you kind of tell you know xfl fans out there who you are what you're bringing to the league yes sir you know like you said um i have the epitome of an underdog story you know i've been an underdog since day one i have no problem fighting i have no problem coming in and taking what's mine on the football field you know in the football sense i'm a hard worker i'm the hardest worker in the room i'm the best player in the league that's what I believe myself to be. I want to be the best, and I believe in myself to be the best, and I won't stop until I prove that to myself, prove that to my coaches, and prove that to the Orlando Guardians fans. That's what I'm here to do, and that's what you're going to get out of me. You're going to get somebody who isn't going to stop until they hear the echo of the whistle. You're going to get somebody who's going to come in and work to be the best and not leave until they are the best, and all of their peers and everyone around them acknowledges that as well. So what has changed now? What's changed in your life now that you've been selected in the draft? Is anything? I mean, I know you're still doing classes because obviously we had to shift this around a little bit. People won't see that behind the, the scenes stuff, but to make this interview happen. So you obviously still have classes. But has anything changed for you? Nothing changed, honestly. You know, I'm still working, still working to be the best. Like I said, that's the only that's the only constant in my life you know i don't stop until i'm the best that's the only thing that i wake up and i chase after every day i have a master's degree or i'll have my master's degree by the end of the week you know everything i do i want to be the best in so i work towards my master's degree at the end of the week i'll have that that's accomplished we close that door we're done with college and now it's time to 100 fully focus on my craft and my game like i said being the best and proving that to myself and proving it to the world i got the epitome of an underdog story and i don't have no problem showing that standing on it well sean it has been a pleasure it really has i appreciate you taking the time to come on the show share your football journey your xfl draft experience heck just who you are it's i think very important that the fan base starts to find out who a lot of you guys are because you know some of those nfl bounce backs and whatnot all right we all know that big schools we know that but guys like yourself you you have a, a journey and you have a dream. So it's nice to to know who is suiting up for our teams or even for one of the other seven teams in the league. 
as it goes on. So I hope that camp goes well and you ultimately make the active roster. Cause I'd love to see you play. I'd love to see you fulfill your dream, but if it's possible, I'd love to have you come back on the show sometime to discuss just how things are going for you, you know, now being a professional and how your team's doing and, you know, it's more football talk, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. So why don't you take a moment before I let you go here and just let our listeners know where they could follow you if they wanted to be able to follow your journey. How could they do so? All right. You can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter is Sean underscore Kyrie 55. And you can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram is Sean underscore Kyrie. All right. Perfect. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Sean's well-traveled collegiate career shows his determination to achieve his dream of playing professional football. He craved and sought out higher competition. Being a Guardian season ticket holder, I am looking forward to his time with the team and wish him well. Finally, I will now be joined by the mayor of XFL Nation, Van Hurst, to discuss the Seattle Sea Dragons' efforts and market impact in the lead-up to 2023's kickoff. For those who may not be aware of Van, he is an unwavering supporter of the league and each of its teams. Van is well-connected with the league and team personnel. Welcome, Van. I appreciate you taking the time to come on to the show to discuss the XFL's progress in Seattle and more. Uh, nice to meet you in person, finally, or video link or audio link or whatever we're doing. Um, kind of a small world in the opportunity football and I'm glad to finally make a connection with you today. It's a pleasure. It really is. I mentioned to you briefly about being, you know, the mayor, and it kind of took me a while to follow you. And I was like, you know what? I don't know why I haven't followed you sooner. So I'm glad we were definitely able to make this happen. It's probably something I should have reached out a long time ago about. But I'm kind of doing my lead up with each of the markets. You know, we're not really that far away from 2023's kickoff. So I'm like, Seattle, you know, there's a couple of guys, actually, you're on my list. And I'm like, you know what? I probably should reach out to the mayor. If anyone really has an idea what's going on, try to get the mayor on the show. So I'm glad that you, you accepted. So that's awesome. So uh, what do you want to know about Seattle? Um, well, first, this is Fire Breathing Friday. Well, I, I started that in 2019. The, the Seahawks have the 12. And they have their Blue Friday where everybody wears a blue jersey, blue shirt, or whatever. And so when we got ready to launch the Dragons back in 2019, I come up with Fire Breathing Friday. So, you know, your listeners can't see it, but you can see through our video link that I'm wearing my Fire Breathing Orange shirt today. And that, that I'm, I'm very happy that, this, that they we're continuing now as the Seattle Sea Dragons. Yeah, he definitely is wearing an orange polo with the Seattle Dragons logo. Or does is the Sea Dragons polo? Yeah, it's the Sea Dragons polo. But he also has Mr. Mayor on the other side. Oh, it definitely says Sea Dragons, folks. He's not kidding. Fire Friday. I believe it is important and very beneficial for our listeners. If you were to share how long you've been a fan of the XFL, your connections throughout the league, that have led to your given name as the mayor. Can you take a moment and just share with us how this all came about? How long have you been really following the league and connected with the league in, in various ways? 
Okay, well, it goes back to my post-military career. Um, I found when I was in the military, it was easier to get to a Seahawks game on the road because of where I was stationed. And then when I retired and came back to the Seattle metropolitan area, I live in Kent, Washington, which is not Seattle. And I make a point of telling everybody I'm not in Seattle. Um, I found that when I was buying resale tickets, because, you know, all the season tickets are legacy and there's a a 10,000 member, what they call blue pride waiting list for the Seahawks. So I was still going on road games because they were cheaper. Then seeing a Seahawks game in Aluminum Field, CenturyLink Field, Quest Field, it's had many names as corporations have changed their sponsorship, um, than it was to, to see a local game. So in 2018, and, and I just actually had a calendar reminder uh, last week for this, uh, it came out and announced that we are relaunching the XFL, and Seattle's will be one of the cities, and we're taking season ticket deposits. So I put down season ticket deposits for all eight cities with the idea behind is if I can buy firsthand premium seats where I want them, it will be way cheaper than what I paid for a season with traveling with the Seahawks each year. And, you know, as we went into 2019, and they started doing fan engagements and, and uh, showcasing and stuff. I was talking with the league officials as they would come, like they went to the Seattle showcase. And I said, Hey, have you guys ever thought since you're a brand new startup, like take one section on the visitor's bench and designated it for opposing fans and sell those tickets to the opposing fans. And they, oh, uh, uh, they have been on, they never did anything about it. So come around to October of 2019 and it's season ticket, uh, selection time so i was very very low priority with the with the dragons my agent calls me up and i said okay i've got deposits elsewhere how do i do this and he said well when we went to our training sessions at uh levi stadium the 49ers facility in santa clara california i met guys and gals from all the various teams so here i'll just give you the phone number so then that's what I did. I just got passed off from ticket agent to ticket agent to ticket agent to ticket agent and ended up with my seats in all eight cities. And that worked out really well for me because in 2020, the very first game the XFL played was the Seattle Dragons at D.C. Defenders in Audi Field in Washington, D.C. And guess what? I had field seats right on the bench down at turf level. In D.C., and those were awesome seats. So then week two, Seattle, we played the Vipers, which at that time was Tampa Bay. Week three, we played the Renegades, which was Dallas at that time. And then week four, it was Battlehawks in St. Louis. And I flew into to St. Louis. And what's really kind of funny is there was four people on the flight from Seattle to St. Louis, besides me, that were going to the Battlehawks game. Nice. And, when they, and when they saw my orange, they were like, Why, what's going on? And I'm like, well, I'm going to the game. And they go, well, we're going to the game, but we live there. We're just going home because we want to watch the game also. And uh, ran into them actually pregame at, at the Dome of America Center 
awesome, awesome tailgate experience there in St. Louis. Week five on the road, uh, Seattle at Houston. Went and saw the uh, Roughnecks play, and that's where the Seattle player got COVID and the rest of professional sports history we all know about. Uh, coming back from St. Louis, I went through a game in in Arlington slash Dallas at Choctaw. Now it was Globe Life Field at the time. And when I came back from Houston, um, on the way there, I had hit a game in L.A. So I actually hit most of the stadiums in 2020 during the games. And I make a point of my travels, whether it's with the Seahawks, my trade union that I belong to, I'm a member of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. And for other travel purposes, I find two people unique every day. And I talk to them about the XFL and the opportunity it gives players. And somewhere along the line, I was told by one of the fan groups, well, you're just the mayor of the XFL. And that's kind of how the label came. And that's where it's at. So I'm glad you took that moment because a lot of people are probably like, you know, you know, there's these shows that some people deem that they're credentialed. So like they're, you know, on a certain pedestal, so to speak. And some people deem certain shows, fan shows. And I just try to just be as straight laced, as buttoned up as possible. Just get right to the point, right? And get the, you know, whoever I can to be pretty good, solid people that know what they're talking about in each market. And that's why I wanted to reach out to you. But I'm like, I have to share your background because you're not a media person. You're not an employee of the league or a team, but I'm like, you are very knowledgeable because of the way that you approach your fandom and your commitment to not just Seattle dragons, now sea dragons, but obviously the league. And I got more familiar with you. I'm like, this is why you were on my list of people to eventually talk about Seattle with, regardless if you live right in the city. I mean, there's, how many people live in suburbs or within 40 minutes from a city, but they still get to see everything that's marketed on TV, radio, you know, local papers. They know what's coming. So with that being said, we're going to dive into the Seattle conversation now. Obviously, the XFL was hit in Seattle during the league's second iteration. The Dragons branding was well received the way I see it as somebody that was a New York Guardians season ticket holder. Now that I live in Florida, a little different. There'll be an Orlando's Guardians season ticket holder. But it seemed to be well-received and essentially became a household name. Can you enlighten us to what the Dragons did in their lead-up to 2020 that made them one of the league's premier franchises? Well, um, again, I kind of mentioned the 10,000-member waiting list for the Seahawks. There's another waiting list to get on that waiting list. Seattle is a major, major sports town. And they came in, uh, Ryan Gustafson, a local guy, was our team president. I knew the market, uh, very knowledgeable guy. He got out and marketed the team well. He had good relationships with the Seattle Mariners, with Seattle Seahawks, um, Seattle Sounders, which is the MLS team. and just the word of mouth of, hey, we get more football. And then they brought on a legacy head coach, Jim Zorn, the original 
quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks when the franchise was hatched clear back in the 70s. There was just this instant connection and just the overall love of sports. It, 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 just, it just took off. And the viral word of mouth was just absolutely amazing. I mean, it still is. Over the last 25, 26 months when basically nothing's been happening, and I'm still wearing my XFL gear around town. People are still recognizing me from the game, still recognizing me from fan engagement events. Hey, what's going on? You know, talk to us. Let us know what's going on. And I made a point of once the bankruptcy occurred, I stayed in contact with Jeffrey Pollock, who was the president of the league at the time, and a couple other people that are no longer with the league. And I stayed in contact with them all the way through. And I was like, hey, I want to give you feedback. I want to tell you what I enjoyed. I want to tell you what didn't work. I know you got new ownership, you know, but let's keep the conversation going. And that's what I've done all the way till today. I actually had a conversation with some league people today. Good deal. We knew that there was various things leading up to 2020. Some of the market did certain things with some of the teams or communities. What was it that they were doing in Seattle that we weren't seeing maybe you know, across the country in the lead up in 2020? What was it that they were doing uniquely probably? Because we saw a lot of these um, happy hours, so to speak, that the uh, St. Louis Battlehawks were doing. Was there a similar grassroots movement happening in Seattle back in 2020 or the lead up in 2019 to 2020? So, uh, again, Ryan Gustafson had some fan events. But I think one of his biggest draws was he had what he called an AMA, an Ask Me Anything live internet interview every Friday during Fire Breathing Friday. And, hey, what are the concessions going to be? Are there family packages? How do we park? Total transparency that has never been seen in professional sports in the Seattle market before. And, you know, that, hey, did you hear what Ryan said today? Or did somebody ask him about, uh, are we getting rally towels at a game giveaway? You know, whatever's going on. But they also took, like, we had the orange rally towels for game one. And they went out and did a uh, scavenger hunt with them. They placed them all over the city during one night. So they had they put rally towels out like a scavenger hunt. And then they went on local media, uh, sports talk. Morning AM drive TV, morning AM, uh, uh, you know, traffic radio stations and said, Hey, there's rally towels out here and got people interested. They billboarded the city. They put the mobile billboards on the trucks out there, out running around. And they also did a great job at the end of the NFL season of doing marketing with the Seahawks. We played a game. I had the only 6X league-produced T-shirt. It was a white one that the league produced for me. And I used to play Where's Waldo at the Seahawks games on the road, where the local media would try and find me in the stands and take a picture of me. And that kind of went a little bit viral. And it just kept the conversation rolling. Well, I mean, that's that's some pretty cool stuff. Right. I mean, it's talking about as grassroots as it gets trying to do some unique things. And but the fact that the Seahawks somehow got involved 
or were willing to cross promote is pretty interesting because, you know, the XFL has always been in some eyes, a redheaded stepchild, right? You know, especially with the 2001 iteration of it, how it kind of really went after the XFL for not being, you know, man enough, so to speak. And I talk about they're playing pansy football. So, I mean, that's to me interesting that an NFL team was really to kind of just cross promote in some way and help the Seattle Dragons. So I, that's pretty cool. This time around, things seem to be a little bit different, right? Anybody that's been around paying attention to these leagues now, we kind of see a difference from 2001 to 2020. Now the 2023's lead up. The league obviously has new ownership with Danny Garcia, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and Redbird Capital. I understand we are currently in the buildup, but to this point, I mean, we're just the weekend before Christmas, essentially, right? We're about a week before Christmas here. So we're we're in the buildup pretty good. For 2023's relaunch, what's going on in Seattle? with their events and their progress as compared to 2020s? Well, uh, we had a coach introduction event at a former brewing company. We had one of those brew pubs that uh, failed during the pandemic. It was directly across from the stadiums. Our stadiums are on an adjoining block for baseball, football, and soccer. And it's called Hatback Grill. And they brought Coach Haslett in and introduced him along with a local uh, sports doc celebrity to emcee the event. And, you know, kind of a private invite for season ticket deposit holders at that point in time. That was that was engaging. And then recently, within the last month and a half, they brought a young lady named Haley Lynch on. She came from the PGA as a social media manager. So she, she knows about marketing. So she decided, hey, it's going to be National Cookie Day. So she reached out to all the local cookie companies and found one that makes habanero orange-infused chocolate chip cookies. So she had a pop-up event at it, it's uh, Hello Robin Cookies, a great little company here in Seattle. And had an outdoor rally on National Cookie Day and invited everybody down. And she somehow got her hands on the Under Armour draft hats. I don't know if you saw those that the quarterbacks were wearing on November 15th. And she gave out about a dozen of them through a little lottery drawing system um, to, the, to the people. And she's uh, getting the social media marketing here pretty active uh it's my understanding she's also being currently shared with st louis um they haven't got anybody on board in that position as of last time i knew they may have somebody today as you said they're constantly ramping up but she's also now uh during that event was able to facetime with our two uh selected quarterbacks Stephen montez and ben Danucci. and so that was FaceTime direct interaction with the fans, and that was that was great. Um, now she's trying to find a little road trip tour to bring some of the players up uh, before they go into camp and take them around uh, the greater Puget Sound area. And, you know, she's keeping us engaged. Um, 
you said you follow me on social media. You'll see I do a countdown every other day. Right. I find anything that one team is doing and I share it with the world. I mean, I'm blasting it out there. I actually had a XFL employee say, you're our biggest social media marketer and you pay us for the privilege. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how, how common that is anywhere, but yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a, a unique situation if you think about it, but yeah, no, it's, it, that's a compliment, you know, not really a backhanded compliment, but it is a compliment, you know, <laughs> you brought up the social media thing because I was going to ask about that a little bit later on, but I might as well just kind of chat it up here. Obviously Seattle, I think DC is doing some social media. I mean, like you mentioned, not everyone really has their social media person in place. And that seems to be a missed opportunity for most of the league because it's only a few teams that actually seem like they have a decent social media game. That's what I call our presence. Your opinion, why? I mean, you, you have some, and I don't, you don't need to tell me who you're talking to or whatever. Why is it so late in the game that that hasn't been figured out? Knowing that with modern technology, with everyone having, you know, that smartphone in their hand, that everyone's so glued to those screens anyway. It just seems like a missed opportunity. But so, so why, why would we be in that situation? Essentially, most of the league versus a couple, you know, bright spots. Well, let's go back to June. Um, I follow LinkedIn, which is for people that don't know, is the social media for business networking. These positions were starting to be advertised clear back in June. I am very pleased that the people in people operations, people management, the XFL are not filling jobs. They're selecting the right candidates. Um, senior, senior vice president of the Mariners just left to go back to Dallas, where he's from, to take over as VP of events and operations for the Renegades for the Arlington team. That position has been open since June. So they've been recruiting and interviewing and looking. And that guy could have just as easily took the job here in Seattle, but he wanted to go back to his home market where he's from. So getting it right does not mean getting it fast sometimes. And uh, I don't know if you paid attention to, you know, the alleged season ticket sales in 2020 or not, but it was pretty much alluded that for attendance in a game in any given city, one third of the sales was season tickets. Two thirds of the sales were single game walk-up. Okay. So I was able to track through a loophole in the Ticketmaster system the season ticket deposits until they actually, the league took them over and then started putting season ticket directors and, and salespeople in place. And, and now it's all behind the wall, but we were able to see how many season ticket deposits were going on with all eight cities. And based off of that, they're right on target to have great numbers for the February kickoff. So some people think they're they're dragging their feet. Some people think they're behind. I think they're on track. And I think, you know, you're dealing with a movie production company. 
and you don't see the final credits before you see all the buildup and all the little side streets and everything along the way. And I think, you know, Seven Bucks Productions, Red Bird, Disney, XFL LLC, they all have that mindset of we're building a movie. We're going to launch February 18th, February 19th. And here it comes a little bit at a time. As, as a diehard fan, believe me, I want that schedule. I want that schedule. But I also have some resources. So what do you think I did getting ready for opening weekend? Any guesses? For this year? Yes. Well, I mean, if anyone's really paying attention to... You can start looking at hotels. You can start looking at anything like airlines. You can start. There's ways to start navigating it, but I don't know exactly what you did, but I can no, see I, how. I, I didn't look. I'm booked. You booked them all. I'm, I'm into all the cities. I got hotels in all the cities. I have frequent flyer status with three airlines. I have high tier status with Hyatt properties, and I am booked. So once the schedule drops, then I start dropping reservations. But well, I'm covered. I'm covered. I'm I'm there. So and you know, it is what it is. But uh, you know, uh, like I said, I'd like to have that schedule. But in the meantime, I'm ready. Man, I call you the mayor for a reason. Okay, so the average person is probably like, "Who is this guy? He is the mayor, folks. That's who he is." And uh, there's no way committed. Like you, and I mean, I like to say there's a lot of committed people because I'm not trying to take shots at anybody because there are a lot of people that are invested one way or another into it, but I don't think there's anybody quite like you. So obviously that is a compliment to kind of backpedal here a little bit on your comment about like these positions have been posted and, you know, they're taking the time to find the right people. I know that a lot of the fan base, the XFL fan base has not been that patient. And, you know, everyone's different. It's what makes the world go round. If we were all the same person, it'd be a boring place. So I, I get it. So, but I've been fairly patient. I don't try to be the guy that stands in a soapbox, beating my chest, like what's going on here, there, what's wrong. You know, obviously the sky's falling, so to speak, like some of these people are. I mean, to each their own. Everyone has their right to their own opinion and their own ideals. But I, I knew that the league was obviously starting essentially from – a foundation that it didn't have in 2020. They had to rebuild back everything because it was essentially almost two decades, right? This time they bought not only intellectual property, they, but they, they have a lot of things. You know, Pollock was still around. Yes, now he's moved on, but they did have some staff in place and they did bring a lot of things. They already owned a rule book. You know, yes, they made some tweaks and stuff, but the reality comes down to is that they are taking their time that's not necessarily a bad thing. So I said it seems like a missed opportunity because I know what people are thinking. But the reality is it is somewhat missed. But if you got the wrong person in there, it's completely missed anyway. So in some cases, they got the right people. Things are clicking. In these other places, maybe it's just better not to crash and burn your brand on social media in a way because the days of Bailey – and whoever else, it was all part of the team back in 2020. They're not around this time. So you got to build back that team right. 
right? It was Bailey Carlin, if I can remember correctly, that was a, a big social media presence for the XFL back in 2020. Yeah. So, you know, I, again, um, what is the rock and Danny Garcia camping their, their, their financial future on? It's not the hundred thousand legacy 2020 XFL fans. It's 450 million social media followers for Dwayne, the rock Johnson. He's going to be able to fill the stands just like he sold out a Terramana tequila in the first week. He's going to be able to fill the stands just like he sold out of Zoa Energy beverages when they first come out. If he if he can get the people in the stands one or two games, I think the football will hook them, and that's what I think is their their end game. So, you know, you can be upset, you can do whatever. I'm frustrated with the Seattle local ABC affiliate. Uh, I can't get them to barely even acknowledge the fact that they're going to be the flagship station for the Sea Dragons. So, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is, but 450 million, that's the number you need to remember. That's where their, their money is in the bank. I'm glad you mentioned the ABC affiliate because. I wanted to kind of touch in on the local marketing a little bit. So seeing that we are approaching just about 60 days, you know, when this releases, it'll be a, you know, a few days from now. So we'll be just about let's, 60 let's days. Call, let's call it nine weeks. Okay. It's nine weeks. When we're recording this, we are nine weeks to the day. When you drop the cast, it'll still be within that eight and a half to nine week period. Right. It's nine weeks. Nine weeks. have a baby in nine weeks. Till they kick off. Are there any billboards? Are there newspaper ads, radio ads, television ads, any other grassroots campaigns that you haven't mentioned yet that you think that are on the docket? Um, Lumen Field, which is a public-private partnership, which is a stadium, is managed by First and Goal. First and Goal is the parent organization of the Seahawks and is owned by the uh, Paul Allen Family Foundation. Paul Allen passed a few years back, and his sister Jody runs the foundation. Every Seahawk email, every Lumen Field email goes out. There is a click ad for the Sea Dragons on it. There is your, again, 68,178 season ticket holder seats getting that, 10,000 additional Blue Pride people, and then anybody else that signed up for Seahawk mailings. Then the people that signed up just for Lumen Field mailings, uh, Seattle Sports Diaries, There's, it, it, it's getting out there, and it's getting out to the market that they're looking for without having to spend the big bucks for billboards and TV ads and everything else. It's, it's out there. The, the conversation is there, you know, uh, pregame for uh, the Seahawks and the Mariners. Uh, when we were had the playoffs here for Houston, I had uh, a QR code generator uh, purchased and I put QR codes on two by five, boards or three by five boards and i was sitting in the main traffic areas leading up to the stadiums just telling people hey you interested in the in the xfl 
Aaron, take a shot of this QR code and it'll give you all the season ticket information. They're still doing that. They're putting the QR codes out there. They're putting the phone numbers out there. They're plastering social media. I don't know if you see it or not, but on my social media up here, I constantly see Sea Dragons ads, you know, call us for tickets, click on the link and, you know, we'll get back with you, whatever you want to do. So it's there. It's just understanding that this company understands media streams, I think, more than the old legacy, you know, 1930s, 1950s, 1960s. So let's forget about the team for a second. The front office, league, office, whatever. Let's forget about those people for a second. In the 2.0, Seattle had unwavering support. That's just how it, it appeared, right? So, I mean, you you would know more, but it just for the people outside of Seattle, it looked like they had solid support, unwavering. You know, now there's a slight rebrand. You know, the Seattle Dragons became the Seattle Sea Dragons. Now... As you know, we're in the lead up. What are you seeing from the fans themselves, the fan base in Seattle themselves, with that slight branding, with everything that the team and the league has already done? That you know, this outside, you know, kind of I don't know, you want to call it guerrilla, whatever marketing that they're kind of getting into. Are you seeing that unwavering support, that resurgence going to be back for? XFL 3.0 in Seattle. Okay, so let's just go with the Facebook group. By the way, I'm going to take some credit here. Absolutely. My, go Facebook, group, my Facebook group named in August of 2019 was XFL C Dragons. SEA Dragons. It was never Seattle Dragons because part I was trying to not violate their branding. Okay. Gotcha. Like I said, I've been pushing the Breathing Fire Orange brand forever. So over the last three years, you know, since the bankruptcy shut down, my Facebook group dropped from a high of 5,800 members uh, in, you know, in, in the fifth week of 2020, it dropped down to 3,600 at the lowest. In the last month, I've now pumped back up to 4,500 and I'm not doing anything to you know, hey, here's this group, come join it, whatever. People are interested. 900 people have either came back or have searched it out and said, hey, I want to be a member of this Facebook group. The people, the hunger's there. The hunger is there. And then now with the Russell Wilson trade with the Seahawks, uh, the naysayers about the bright orange new jerseys has created a whole new level of conversation. People, people, uh, you know, oh, I hate it. That's a Denver jersey. You know, I hate it. It's too bright, whatever. And then a lot of people don't realize how close we are to Vancouver, B.C. right here. We're only a couple hours away. The B.C. Lions are orange, too. And that has not been in the conversation at all. But like I said, the fans are actually reengaging themselves through social media and coming out and asking for information. You know, I I don't know if you watch your posts, but I actually look at my statistics pages on my posts, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. And I posted pictures 
from a fan-generated event in San Antonio last weekend of the two San Antonio jerseys that the ticket director had brought out for the fans to touch and feel and play and hold up and model and whatever. In the first eight hours after I posted those around on social media, I had over 49,000 views. People are interested. Yeah. You can see those if you're using Facebook or whatever, if people know what they're looking at, essentially those analytics, whatever, but your impressions and whatnot, you can see all, you know, your reach and all that good stuff. So that's, that's very good. And just to give people an idea, I'm not trying to like my show's big or anything, but I mean, I can get three, 4,000, you know, uh, my, with my reach and whatnot, but that's, that's huge. That's huge. And, you know, obviously I only in Facebook, I only have somewhere over a hundred followers. I don't know if it's 120, 130, 140, someplace there, but that's so, I mean, I have a, a smaller following on my Facebook page than I actually do on Twitter, but it, it doesn't matter, but it just kind of goes to show that reach those impressions, how it just kind of gets to people that shared like whatever uh, that's, that's huge. Yeah. That I agree. That's why one, I'm patient because anything worthwhile doesn't happen overnight. Everyone thinks they got to have everything today, even though it's going to be six months, whatever, two months away. Like anything, like we just sometimes got to pump the brakes because anything worthwhile just takes time. How they say it on the X fan show, you know, the, the cookies are in the oven. You just got to wait for the cookies to bake, so to speak. Right. I mean, there's a bunch of people that have different sayings. So you're obviously it's happening. Like, and that's why I kind of want to ask people without kind of like leading people and two, like someone, I just don't know how it's happening, but I know things are happening behind the scenes and it's kind of good to kind of peel back this onion, so to speak. Right. Cause there's more there, whether it's, we did, uh, I had um, Jason on from the expand show this past episode and we were talking about, St. Louis. Now, you know, having you on and I'm buying some time before we get into the new markets, people, because they might need all the help they can get compared to these established markets and teams. So I, I guess, you know, kudos to you, because again, the mayor's traveling down to San Antonio and not just doing stuff. You're invested in a, in a so I guess my question would be, are you having season tickets in all eight markets again this time around? Like I said, plus plane tickets and hotels. Well, I know. I just wanted to clarify that it wasn't just, okay, you have that and you're just going to buy a ticket, walk up. So you're invested in season tickets in all of them. Again. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There you go. Absolutely investment. And uh, uh, what I did in 2020 was is for the games that I couldn't attend, you know, obviously you can't be in two cities at the same time. Right. I was donating them to first responders. Um, military personnel locally, or if I got wind of a player that their family was going to be able to go to a game, I went ahead and gave them to a player for the visiting team that was going into a city so their family could have premium seats because primarily my seats are either right on the visitor's bench on the end. I don't like sitting on the 50-yard line looking at linemen's names and numbers. So I get a little, you know, down around the 25-yard line. Or I like to get in the end zone because you can watch plays develop from the end zone. But either way, they're all front row seats, clear around the league. And I, I would just, you know, because I've made my money by not paying brokers, you know. So I just went ahead and handed them out. And that's 
probably what I'll do again this time. Um, now, uh, you know, I have connections with a lot more people, you know, around the league and stuff, but it's like, Hey, your team is visiting and you want some good seats. You probably should try to reach out through social media and see if, if I've given my seats away or if I'm going to be there or if I got a couple of seats left over. Cause I bought four seats in, in all, all the cities and obviously I'm one person. So I right, usually have awesome. space for somebody. You know, like like down there in your market, I actually have a high school, junior high, late grade school friend that lives there. And so his family is going to use my tickets when I'm not in Orlando. You nice. know, Orlando being the farthest market from me for Seattle. So the fly line down there, I would have to do it like on a Saturday and then hit another game on Sunday coming back into market you know if, if seattle's playing at home obviously i would not go to orlando on that weekend it just doesn't make sense well van it has been a pleasure and i appreciate you taking the time to come on this show to discuss the xfl's progress in seattle and obviously just your commitment to the league and it's it really even blew my mind i didn't realize you had season tickets in all the markets in 2020 i didn't realize that, you know obviously this time around but i I would love to meet with you when you're down here uh, sometime for an Orlando game. Now, we're going to need a little help with the schedule. And I'm not one of those guys that are claiming that I need, you know, clamoring that I need the schedule. But we're going to need a little help because I'm getting married in the spring. So I have some previous commitments because I had some health issues and, you know, uh, I had a surgery that bumped my wedding from October 1st into the spring. So I'm going to need a little help from the league to be able to attend some Orlando games. And I hope that all these are not home games. I have to fly back to New York and stuff for wedding stuff to get like the wedding license. Cause it's just the way they do it. I had me and my fiance had to be there together and obviously um, have a bachelor party and stuff that my uh, friends and family are not going to make the, the trip down here. I got to go back for, and then obviously the wedding itself. So I, I really would love to connect with you if things work out with the uh, schedule. And I'm not one way or another. I'll probably donate my tickets if it doesn't work out to something. I might even do them as a, a giveaway or something through the show. Uh, we'll have to see how that works out. But I would love to attend every game if possible. But I do have some previous commitments. You know, I, I do got to tie the knot with my uh, my fiance because you know, well, she's she's gonna be my life lifelong partner. So football is important, but it's not more important than the love of my life. So. Well, why can't you maybe meet me in the middle someplace, like, say, D.C.? You know, that might be possible as well. We'll have to see how things work out. But either way, uh, before I let you go, I would like for you to take a moment and share how our listeners could follow you. Seeing that you are the mayor and you're somebody that's well-connected, very knowledgeable of things, and not only that, just a, a very good fan if people like to interact with other fellow fans – where could they find? Well, on Twitter, I'm Vanster2000, V-A-N-S-T-E-R 2000. Um, social media for Facebook, I'm in basically every Facebook group that is for growing the league. If you're a hate, if you're a hate speech, trash talking uh, XFL Facebook group, I'm not in there. That's not my thing. I'm here to build. I'm here to grow. I'm here to be family friendly. So um, my group in Seattle, if you're interested in joining again, it's family friendly. If you want to take a personal attack on somebody, you're gone. But it's XFL, 
SEA Dragons. There you go. And, um, you know, it's open to anybody anywhere in the country. But, again, I'm a builder. I'm not a destroyer. Perfect. Thank you, Van. Speaking with Van is a treat. I recently connected with him, and this was our first conversation. As you heard, Van's commitment to the league and his teams is second to none. He is well-traveled and has experienced the XFL in a way that few supporters have. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line messages this week. If you have a comment, question, or hot take and would like it to be heard on the show, reach out to the fan line by calling 863-TALK-XFL or 863-825-5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback. So do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts. And if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform or choice. One last thing. If you're interested in checking out our friends over at Royal Retros by 503 Sports, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, Let's Talk XFL, or 10% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Player 54 Podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Player 54 Podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.